Hey there, Ralph Garman here. Thanks so much for checking out this free edition of The Ralph Report. If you like what you hear, do me a favor. Subscribe to The Ralph Report so we can put some fun in your ears five days a week. And you can listen for as little as $3 a month. So subscribe today so you don't miss out on any of the fun. Go to patreon.com slash The Ralph Report and sign up. Welcome to The Ralph Report with Ralph Garman. Well, hello there, boys and girls. Welcome to The Ralph Report. It is a brand new show for this Wednesday. The date's the 12th of Shocktober. Shock the monkey. Shock the monkey. It's Shocktober. <laughs> It's not going to last. It's going to last, baby. I'm on a roll. (laughs) The 12th of Shocktober, the year of science, 2022. Science! It is right to give science thanks and praise, just like it's right for you folks to be joining us here today on The Ralph Report. The Ralph Report. It's like an invisible ball in my mouth. That's right. That's Eddie's problem. It was. an invisible ball in his mouth. Invisible ball. Kids, what a program we have lined up for you today. Because on the counter, you want to know why? Well, I'll tell you why. First of all, Steve Ashton is on hand with the UK update. Mm. Always a pleasure to have Steve with us. Yay! And uh-huh. special interview today with an old, old friend of mine. Yeah. Named Candy Milo. Candy is a superstar in the world of voiceover, but she's also an actress and a singer and a, a cabaret performer. Um, super talented lady. Yeah, She's just written a book. And so I'm having her on the show today to talk about the book. But it's funny, we first met over 30 years ago. Oh my God. Wow. I'm trying to think, doing the, the quick math. I believe 30-ish years ago, we were both in a, a film together when we were struggling and starting off in this business. And it was uh, the same day I was working with Candy. I met a young Kathy Griffin was also in the cast. Oh my God. Uh, a great character actress named Mary Pat Gleason was in the show. Um, did you remember the old Bob Newhart show where he was a psychologist? Yeah. Remember Mr. Carlin? His, yeah. His, yeah. Jack Riley, the actor, he oh was God, in really? it. really? William Wyndham, the character actor, was in it. It was a great cast. I got to see the snuff film. <laughs> it wasn't this a snuff be, film. It has to be good. To the best of my knowledge. <laughs> But um, I did the thing with Candy, and we hit it yeah. off, and she was uh, she was super talented. And then a couple of years later, I saw this commercial for Mervyn's, the department store. Oh, I'm familiar. I don't know if you remember the old campaign, open, 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 about the girls waiting for the store to open because yeah. they're having a big yeah, sale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Candy Milo. Okay. That was the beginning of uh, her career blowing up. Wow. So anyway, she's written a new book called Surviving the Odd. And it's based on the true story of the fact that her father, who was also an entertainer, quit the business in 1968 and decided to open up a halfway house for mentally challenged people. That's quite the right turn. That was my take. Is that how do you get from wow there to here? Yeah. Now here's the thing. He didn't have enough money to buy a separate facility. So he bought a large converted fraternity house and started to house these people in the same house with his wife and five kids. Holy shit. So Candy, from the age of seven on, lived in a home with people who were severely developmentally disabled. My God. 
And that was her new norm. That's how she lived her life. That's got to change your worldview quite a bit, I would imagine. I can only imagine. And uh, this book is riveting. It's crazy. It's also very funny. She's a very funny comedian. But um, can you imagine living a life as a childhood with your family and all the, with five kids, all that entails. And then on top of it, having a, a series of people with mental illness going through your home on a regular basis. I, no, that's Six crazy. to eight patients at a time wow. living in the house. Wow. So, as you can imagine. That's fascinating. Fascinating story yeah. and a great interview. So, uh, stay tuned for that later. So, all that happening on today's show. Let's get the introductions out of the way. I'm your old podcast pal. My name's Ralph Garman. Sitting here in the Batcave with me is the Rear Admiral himself. Sheriff of Ghost Town, Mayor of Myrtle, victim of vandalism. Mm. <laughs> Why you could grunt? It always, it always stings. It's still cheeses you off. Still raw. Still raw nerve. He's Nipsey Muscle. <laughs> He's the Dilf Pickle. Some folks call him Odie Gov. We just call him Eddie Pence. Hey everybody, missed the button. That's fine. Give me another. Hey, hey everybody. Hey everybody. not fine you need your you need your applause i don't need that you i don't need that you need it more than most people i don't need it at all yo ho eddie why are you in this business if you don't need that then i do it because i like it oh okay i don't need their approval you don't care about the audience not a bit that explains your performance on this show quite a bit wow i think about it wow zing wow (laughs) how many drum sets do you have over there many as i need jesus today i need three (laughs) what are you playing them with Oh, everything I got. Duct tape, a drumstick to your wiener? I got a stick tape to everything. (laughs) (laughs) I can play with my entire body. I got one up my ass. Uh, What's going on in your world, Eddie Pence? How's everything? uh, That's nothing. Just, you know. Yep. Just killing it. Just slaying it. Life's a dragon and I'm slaying it. Yeah, you're a knight in shining armor. You know, me. I do, I do got know one you. car in the shop with an oil leak. Oh, is that why you guys got are the, down uh, to the one uh, vehicle now? We're down to one vehicle every other week. That's how that <laughs> it works. It does out. seem like it that. Yeah. That way. When you're driving two cars that are 20 years old yeah. a piece, so yeah. You should uh, sell them both and then buy one new one. That'd be a good idea. But we need two cars. Yeah, you need two cars. All right. We'll we need two cars. Let's get you uh, like a Vespa. <laughs> Or some sort of scooter. I wouldn't I mind see a you on a scooter. I saw those. What, some guy had a car the other day on the on the one hundred one. It's like a little one person car. It's like one of those three wheel motorcycles, but I've it had like seen an those. It's got like a bubble on the yeah, top. Yeah, I want one of those. They look pretty cool. I want to die instantly. <laughs> you know, if I get rear ended, die. Oh, dude, you'd be zipping in and out. I would. It'd feel like you're in the cockpit of an X wing. Exactly. Yeah, it'd be you cool. would love that. I would like. That All right, let's look into the prices. Yeah, for it that. can't be more than two grand. I'm thinking. Uh, let's jump right into the show because we are super busy today with your phone calls. We love it when you reach out to us. You can, of course, write us if you want an email, ralph at the ralphreport.com, Eddie or Steve at the ralphreport.com. You can also find us on social media. Many of you folks, however, like to leave voicemail messages on the old Ralph Report hotline. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's available to you. All you got to do is dial up the number 1833. Then you leave your voicemail message, whatever's on your mind, your thoughts, your feelings, your questions, your comments. I listen to each and every one of them. Then I grab a handful and we put them here in Garmy on the line. The telephone is ringing. The Garmy's on the line. Ralph's gonna play your calls now. 
I love hearing from every single member of the Garmy that leaves a voicemail message. Oh, okay. However, I have to say, yeah. in all honesty, full transparency, mm -hmm. I get a little bit more excited by some calls than I do others. Like when the meat slapper calls. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, You're it, all about that. That perks my day up a little bit. Long, long ago in a faraway land, someone took me and his clammy hand. With his meat mama and his meat girlfriend, you've got the meat slapper. Now, the meat slapper has a new meat baby. Right. He and meat fiance have a new baby boy. Yeah. And, you know, we've, uh, we've, touched base with him recently he's a little uh, disgruntled because the kid does not seem to have a natural gift for meat slapping are you going to pass the family business on to i think that's know? his concern yeah, i would imagine ralph garman this is the meat slapper i'm on my wit's end <laughs> three days now i've been with a with a meat baby just trying to trying to teach him how to slap meat i went out and i bought a nice a nice chicken nice decent size one good for a good nice slap <laughs> They presented it to him, and he just looked at me with. He just looked at me, and he just did not want to slap it. I don't know what to do. I'm just. I don't know what to do. Me, fiance, I don't want a baby that slaps me. She just. She gave me a baby, and he just doesn't do what I needed to do. As you were. I think he's a little. I think he's blaming the meat fiance for not giving him an heir. Well, you know, he's he, like the it's like the Tudors back in Henry the Eighth time. He's just furious that he didn't get an heir. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he he probably comes from a long line of meat slappers. I bet everyone in his family, every male in his yes. family, came out of the womb slapping meat. Right, that's what so, I'm guessing. Right. So who who else are you gonna blame? Not not his side of the not, family. It's not his. No. His genes are strong. Exactly. He may have to find a new one. Right. He may have to find a new meat fiance. <laughs> Um, yesterday, Eddie revealed to us that the bed, bed space there at, uh, Shea Pence is yeah. a little cramped a little because tight. Stanley likes to sleep in the bed with you yeah, guys. Perpendicular. He likes to sleep perpendicular. Yes. So it's not like cuddling up alongside of you. He likes to sleep across. Right. It's like a giant H. Yeah. Two people and a dog. That seems uh, a, like yeah, a bad idea. It's bad. Garmy's coming to your rescue. Oh. Hey, Ralph and Eddie. Uh, Eddie, this is for your dog in the bed problem. Um, I'm not one to suggest, you know, getting your bed, your dog out of the bedroom at night um, because, hell, night having the dog in there. Um, but we got an ottoman at the end of our bed, and now our dog thinks that he's sleeping in the bed with us while having all of his own space to stretch out and not bother us at night. Um, it's a little bit of an investment, but it's not much more than a dog bed in general, and you could just replace the dog bed with it. and it has storage most of the time. That's a win-win if you ask me. All right, love you, bye. That's a great idea. Can you put a piece of furniture at the bottom of the bed, well, like a bench or an ottoman or well, something? Currently, we have one of those chests, like one of those luggage chests. Right. And But it's just a little bit lower, too low on the bed. And we have some blankets on there, but he won't go down to it. I think if we had something a little higher that was almost even with the bed, he might He might it. just think, it's, oh, right. it's more bed. Right. More but, bed for me. But if we put him down that little lower part, he knows something's up. He's mm. like, you guys are trying to get rid of me. Yeah, we got to we gotta, we gotta beef up your... He doesn't do that. Beef up your trunk. So maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get like a real thick cushion laid on top of the trunk. Yeah. Yeah, get some memory foam or yeah. uh, a dog bed on yeah. top of that. Or just get a bigger bed. That's true. A king size bed. Or just That's what I need. Just teach your fucking dog how to come correct. That's what I recommend. <laughs> I teach my dog to come anyway. 
Speaking of oh boy. I'm scared. Speaking of dogs and fluids, on yesterday's uh, <laughs> Citizen of the Week. By the way, a lot of people very pleased with the Ralph Report Citizen of the Week really? story yesterday. Oh, it's couldn't, awful. Couldn't it's get an enough awful of it. Story. People couldn't get enough of it. I got too much people of it. People who were eating breakfast, listening to the I'm show. Sure. People who were drinking coffee. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> didn't like hearing about yesterday's Citizen of the Week. Just hmm. you know, a little warning. I'm going to recap it. So if this, uh. if you're one of those folks, you just may want to, uh, I don't know, avert your ears for a couple seconds. But the basic premise was, if you didn't hear yesterday's show, this woman was sleeping with her chihuahua. The chihuahua was unwell and had projectile uh, diarrhea. Huh. And some ended up in her mouth. Oh. <laughs> and... And she got sick. The dog was sick. But everyone's fine. It's a happy ending to the story. <laughs> How was there a happy ending to any of this? It happened. Eddie didn't react well to the story either. No. Hey, Ralph. Yoho Odigahuff. What did you crew? Today, Gilbert. Queen J. This is one-star general Seth. I'm calling in to ask if we could please, please, please get a supercut of Eddie's reaction to the Citizen of the Week Award. Yeah. All right, that's my suggestion, LMB. I was telling, trying to tell Eddie the story of this woman who accidentally got dog diarrhea in her mouth. <laughs> and he just, I don't know, he just didn't seem like he was paying attention. Anyway, here's a super cut of his reactions from yesterday's show. What? What? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. You <Just> stop. <laughs> Yeah. God. Stop. Oh, my God. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, there you go. It's like an invisible ball in your mouth there. It's absolutely a diarrhea-filled ball. Oh, and you know, we play upbeat tunes for you every episode to make your day a little bit brighter. We call those our happy hits. Today's request comes from Rob. Hi, Ralph, Eddie, Steve, and the rest of the crew. This is One Star General Rob from Delaware, longtime listener, first time caller. I have an unusual request for a happy hit. Um, October 12th is, well, it was a very special day for me. It was my wedding anniversary. Oh, nice. It is no longer my wedding anniversary oh, because my nice. wife divorced me this year. Oh, mm. And this will be my first October 12th without her. Mm. It's, it's been a difficult year with a lot of soul searching and sadness and therapy, but I know time will be. Uh, the best healer for the next chapter of my life. For my happy hit, Ralph, can I request Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac? Sure. One of their classic fuck you songs that they wrote about each other all the time. Uh, thank you so much. Have a great day. Love you. Mean it. Bye. Sounds like you really worked through it, Rob. Sounds like you're on the other side of Healed. it. Just because you're asking for a fuck you song from when <laughs> Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks were just going at each other's throats. Here it is from Fleetwood Mac. Go Your Own Way.
Damn, it's a good tune. Mm. Thanks to everybody who called in today. You too can be featured in the Garmy on the Line segment, but in order for that to happen, you gotta call me. Call me around. It's the number everyone's talking about. Call me right now at one eight three three. Hi, Ralph. Nobody lives forever, Eddie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I just want to let you know well, that. I appreciate that. Yes. Thank you. But well, I here, thought we did. Here on- <laughs> I was like, fuck, this is going to keep going. <laughs> you were disappointed by I the was idea. A little bit. I was, was never going to end. Kind of. It's like the beginning of the school year. Like, Jesus, man. But here at the Ralph Report, legends live on mm. because we pay tribute to their lives and legacies right. in a segment called Hello, Death. <sighs> Did you electrocute yourself or run into a shell? Hello, death. Did you eat poison mold or just get old? Hello, death. Did you fall from the sky? Ralph Garman will know why, even though you said goodbye. Hello, death. Hello, death. Hello, On this day, October 12th, in the year 632, King Edwin. Ah, yes. King Edwin. I knew there was one. Of Dyra. Dyria. No, Dyra. Dyra? That's a place? King of Northumbria and Bretwalda. Fuck, we can't even get a good one, man. <laughs> but you were the king of Northumbria yes, and Bretwalda. Okay. You had both of those. Edwalda? Brett, Brett Walda. The fuck? It's not even a place. <laughs> it is. Apparently it was. It wasn't. They just told him it was. 1632. Katsuki Motosuna. Uh huh. Japanese. You're not even talking English. What are you doing? <laughs> it's a name. It's a Japanese name. Katsuki, Katsuki. Motosuna. Okay. Japanese samurai commander. Ooh. How would you like to be a samurai commander? That'd be fucking sweet. I, I want to be a samurai commander. Me too. You think you have to be a samurai in order to command the samurai? I would think. Or could it be more like a, uh, you know, like an, a business, like there's a guy in the office that tells the workers what to do. Right. He doesn't necessarily have to do the work So like our commander-in-chief is in charge of the armed yeah. forces without ever having to serve. Exactly. I'll do all the paperwork and stuff, and the right. samurai just have to go out there and actually do my bidding. I think you'd have to be a samurai to, be, yeah, you're to make commander. Right. Probably right. Uh, in 1694, speaking of great uh, Japanese mm-hmm. um yeah. People. Right. Okay. That's what I assumed. Not Japanese dogs or cats. Matsuyo Basho. Yeah. The greatest Japanese haiku poet of all time uh, died on this day. You're familiar with the haiku, aren't I you, am Eddie? I'm familiar Benz? with the haiku. Do you know the uh, format of the haiku? So like 757. Or Very close. Something like it's that. 575. Five, seven. First line has five syllables. Right. Second line has seven. Third mm-hmm. line has five. It's a simple three line poem, mm-hmm. usually dedicated to the majesties of nature mm-hmm. it's a japanese of a japanese origin and they were the the masters at it and uh matsuyo basho was the greatest japanese haiku poet ever okay you're familiar with his most famous poem mm, probably which one do you think was is his biggest one um that flower's got a hole in it <laughs> nope not even close <laughs> the old pond the old pond <laughs> the old pond yes what i call my grandmother here it is. The old pond. The old pond. An old silent pond. A frog jumps into the pond. Splash. Silence again. 
And that's that's the master. That that's is the greatest. Because that captures a, um, a, a frog jumps into the pond. Yes, that captures that moment in beautiful poetic fashion. That sounds like something a third grader wrote. I wrote one. What'd you do? Okay. What is it? Eddie Pence will gag uh-huh. when dog poop is introduced. Listen to him wretch. <laughs> That also captured a That's way better than, uh, what's his face? An old silent pond. An old silent pond. A frog jumps into the pond. That's dumb. Splash. Silence again. Splash. Silence. That's stupid. That's beautiful. I hate haikus. 1870, Robert E. Lee, the American general who commanded the losing side of the Civil War. Yes. He died on this day at the age of 63 from pneumonia. Mm. At least that's what they told us. He went on to regret doing what he did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And then, of course, he uh, became the car of the Dukes of Hazzard. Yes, he did. So he had that going for him. 1914, you know how I feel about inventions, Eddie Pence, in the 1800s? Yeah, right. So many goddamn inventions in the 1800s. And I love the ones we still use today. Yeah, like staples. (laughs) Staples are good. Safety pin was one of my favorite. Paper clips, one of my favorites. Margaret E. Knight, described as the female Thomas Edison of the 1800s, by the way. She's just Margaret E. Knight to me. She died on this day in 1914 at the age of 76. Her invention, mm-hmm. the flat-bottomed paper bag. Oh, yeah. It's better yeah, than you're goddamn ta- right. tapered ones. They're, paper bag used to be just like an envelope. Yeah. What do you fit in that in the grocery store? It fucks your eggs all up, for sure. <laughs> goddamn right it does. But she, in the 1870s, came right. up with a flat-bottomed paper bag. stuff to lay flat in there. Oh, jeez. Not all smashed together. 1940, Tom Mix. You're familiar with Tom Mix? That name sounds familiar. You're a big silent movie guy. Tom Mix, that sounds familiar. He was the first American Western star. He starred in silent Westerns, about uh, 291 films. Wow. Between 1909 and 1935. Only nine of those films uh, were uh, sound films. Everything else was silent. He helped define the genre of the Western in the early days of cinema. Died on this day in 1940 at the age of 60. 1954, George Welsh, American World War II flying ace and test pilot. Oh, badass. Died on this day. Guess what he was doing when he uh, died? Mm, Flying. Testing a plane. Dumbass. And 1950, uh, nope, sorry, my bad. (laughs) What? 1958, Ah. Gordon Griffith, American actor. He was one of the earliest child stars. He worked with Charlie Chaplin in his career, but he stayed in the movie uh, industry throughout his adult life as well. He was a director, and he was the very first actor to portray Tarzan on film. How was he? Yes. How about that? 1961, Eugene Bullard, the first African-American military pilot. Flew for France. Flew for France? (laughs) Flew for France. That'd be a good tongue twister Tuesday. Flew for France. Flew for France. In World War One, as part of the French Foreign Legion. Oh, yeah, French Foreign Legion. Sonia Henny, famous figure skater from Norway. She was Norwegian. She also became an actress. She was the most famous figure skater of her day of in Fs. the 30s and 40s. A lot of Fs 40s. today. So many F words. 1969, she passed away on this day. Mm-hmm. Gene Vincent, American rock legend, died on this day in 1971. <laughs> Nineteen seventy nine on this day, nineteen seventy eight rather. Nancy Spungen. Spungen. Yes. Died. 
What's she was did? killed by her boyfriend, Sid Vicious, of the Sex oh, Pistols. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sid yeah. and Nancy. Yeah, You've yeah, heard yeah, of Sid that famous love story. Right, right, right. 1985, Johnny Olson, American radio personality and television announcer on The Old Price is Right. He passed away at the age of 75. Come on down. He was that guy. <laughs> Super annoying. 1985, also on this day, Ricky Wilson, American guitarist for the B-52s, passed away at the age of 32, much too mm. young. He was the brother of Cindy Wilson, also in that band. His distinctive guitar style really was as important to the sound, I think, of the B-52s as their harmonies in Fred Schneider. Yeah. It wasn't a rock. It was a In 1989, Fred Ward, not Fred Ward Fred at all. Ward. Not Fred Ward. Jay Ward. Different Ward. Yeah, he died way later. Wrong, you're in the wrong Ward. Way later. Jay Ward, American cartoonist and creator of such great cartoon classics as Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh, yeah. Dudley Do-Right. Yeah. Tom Slick. Okay. Super Chicken. Super Chicken. I don't think I know. I, I know what a chicken sounds like. <laughs> That's his war cry. Sounds like a chicken. Fred, get me the super sauce. Okay, super chicken. That's like the ah. worst porno ever. <laughs> super chicken. Not familiar with super chicken. You don't chicken. know super chicken? I'm not familiar with super chicken. I remember Rocky and Bullwinkle. I, mean, I remember, remember Tom Slick? Not really. Really? No. Huh. No. Who was the guy that was dressed like the Mountie? Dudley Do-Right. Dudley Do-Right. I remember Jay him. Ward also created him I remember as well. him, but the, I don't remember the other ones. Oh, you're missing out. You got to check out some Tom Slick and okay. some uh, super chicken. Okay. I'll do that this weekend. All right. Uh, 1990, Tom Carvel. We've talked oh, about yeah. him many times. We love Tom Carvel. <laughs> American ice cream mogul, passed away at the age of 84. Gave us not only Cookie Puss, yeah. <laughs> but Fudgy the Whale Fudgy the Whale, well. who can forget? Fudgy the Whale is back. That's a whale of a cake for Whale of a Dad. It's your participating Carvel ice cream store. Yep. And this year, your Carvel dealer makes them loaded with fudge and nuts. I like it loaded with <laughs> Can't, can't have a Father's Day without fudge and nuts. That's what I always couldn't say. hire a VO artist for that. At what all. the what the 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 ego on that guy, and the fear he Oops. must have instilled in his employees, where no one could raise their hand at the board meeting and say, uh, "Tom, why don't we get somebody else to read the copy for anybody, the commercial?" Anybody, anybody really? Anybody would do. <laughs> Super chicken. <laughs> <laughs> David McLean died on this day in 1995. He was an actor and male model, best known for being the Marlboro Man. Oh, yeah. He was a rugged, good-looking man. Died of cancer, right? Didn't he? You always, you always, Didn't you always he? have to look at the dark side That's, of everything. I mean, it's just weird. He just passed from lung cancer, but it has nothing to do with the fact that he was the Marlboro Man. That he was the poster child for smoking. It's unrelated. It's Completely. just a weird coincidence. <laughs> I'm trying to talk okay. him up for his rugged, handsome, right. good looks. He looked right. like the American West. Yeah, because he was smoking all he the time. He had a map of the West on his face. From all the smoke. And in 1997, John Denver passed away. Sadly, crashed in his uh, his own plane that he was piloting yeah. at the age of 53. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't, what, fly have your, your own plane? Have your own little plane when you get rich. Why? I don't know why people do that shit. Most of them are fine. Okay, until they're they're died from them. I just think they're dead. Now that would be a nice perk. If I was rich, I think you having my fly? own plane would be nice. Yes. 
I want to go to Vegas? All right, let's hop in my plane. We're going to Vegas. Fucking dumb, man. You Pay would, someone to fly you. You would so go with me to I Vegas in my plane. I would not let you fly me to Vegas. Oh, come it's on. not happening. Me? No. Nope. All right, let, let me fly you to Vegas. No, I've okay. seen you drive. There I'm you not going to I'm not going to There's no cars up there. I'm not going to hit anything. Still. Come on. I wouldn't risk it. Country roads take me home to the place I belong. West Virginia. Yeah, I know. Mountain yeah. 1999, Wilt Chamberlain passed away. One of the great basketball players of all time. Bill Shoemaker, another great athlete, died on this day in 2003. Mm. He was a jockey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those are little people. But yes, he was. Very little. He was not a big man. 72 years old. Opposite of Will Chamberlain. In that, how odd. They both died on the same day. And they odd. could not have been more diametrically opposed. <laughs> Interesting, that. All right, you know what we do at this point? We find someone who passed away, any food connected to that person, and we run it past Eddie Pence, seeing if it's something he'd be willing to eat, or maybe in this case, shove up his ass and then pull out. <laughs> I think today's food, you would absolutely be down with really? shoving up your ass. Okay. We'll, we'll find out. I can't out. wait to hear about it. Here's how we find out. We talk about the food, then we pull the handle of the patented Eddie Pence jackpot slot machine. When those reels stop, if they match, jackpot. That means Eddie's eating the food. If they're mismatched, <laughs> I think he doesn't eat the food. It seems like it's been a long time since you've eaten something. I think jackpot is getting a little antsy in the back room That's there. Fine. Maybe he'll eat his foot. Why would he eat I don't his know, foot? Because you don't feed him. You don't. Th I absolutely you feed, feed him. You don't take care of him. There's a slot at the bottom of the door. He's been wearing the same fucking clown outfit since day one. And I slide the food under the door yeah. in the slot. And then sometimes I, he'll pass the outfit out and we'll get it dry clean down the street here. So don't you worry. Okay. In 1955, Bernard McFadden passed away. Bernard? <laughs> Bernard McFadden. He... You've heard of these other guys. You heard Charles Atlas. You ever heard of that guy? Yeah. Made a mint selling the dream of physical fitness yeah. and virility yeah, yeah, yeah. to the American public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack LaLanne, right? right? This guy was before all of them. Really? He did it at the turn of the century. Bernard. In the early 1900s. Okay. He created and, and sold America on trends that now are considered standard in terms of weight loss and health. He was the first to publish a book about fasting mm -hmm. for, for health and for weight loss. Okay. He believed fasting could pretty much cure any disease that anybody had. If yeah. you stopped eating, your body would be able to heal itself. Right, because you die. That's not and then what that, he whatever you have is done. He also said white bread was one of the worst things a person can eat, which is you, absolutely true. Why do you slide in that tray to jackpot all the time? <laughs> Look, what's he got to live for? I can feed him white bread. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? That's true. Um, he called it the staff of death. The staff of death. A white bread, a loaf of white bread he called the staff wow. of death. Wow. He uh, started uh, intermittent fasting as well. Yeah. Two meals a day was all he would eat. Not a strict vegetarian. He ate some meat, but he almost always ate uh, vegetables, fruits. In fact, all of his food was raw. He started the raw food Did craze. He? Yes. Along with bodybuilding and exercise, in the early 1900s, he started a magazine called Physical Culture. That started a publishing empire. He became rich by publishing magazines. Hmm. True Detective, uh, Photo Play, a lot of magazines that were uh, popular all the way up until the past uh, 30 years or so were with the McFadden uh, Publishing Group. Hmm. So this guy created quite a life for himself. But as I mentioned, he almost only ate raw foods. He never cooked anything. Right. He wouldn't touch sugar 
wouldn't touch refined wheat in any way, only raw foods. His favorite food, he would exist almost solely on this food for days on end. First of all, he never ate it on Monday, always okay. fasted on Monday. Always fasted on Monday, 24-hour fast. Yeah, 24-hour fast. The rest of the week, his favorite food by far. How long did he live? Uh, he died on this day yeah. in 1955 at the age of 87. Okay, all right. So he's, he might have, he may be on to something. From a urinary tract infection. Oh, that sucks. He should have fasted. Should then have he would, fasted he would that have away. his dick right out. Or dip his dick in some cranberry juice or something. That's how you cure it. Uh, some of his books, The Virile Powers of, of Suburb... Suburban? <laughs> the Virile Powers of Superb Manhood. Oh. He published that in 1900. Okay. McFadden's Encyclopedia of Physical Culture. 1912. Mm. Fasting for Health, 1923. Mm -hmm. This guy was onto it before anybody right. else. So anyway, the food he existed on most, his favorite food favorite by food. far, would eat them by the bunches. Okay. Raw carrots. Just a whole raw carrot skin mm. on, just, just like Bugs Bunny, just chewing away at a raw carrot. the green carrot. part too? He ate it all. He loved the green parts, especially. Just give me a carrot. That's what old Bernard used to say. However, is that something Eddie Pence would say? There's only one way for us to find out. Let's pull that handle. Here we go. One candle. Candle. What's up? Hey, Pence likes candles. No, Jack, I don't like I, candles. No. <laughs> he doesn't eat candles. Carrots. I said carrots. Carrots. Oh, that's different. Eddie Pence likes the <laughs> carrots. Yeah. And he chews the carrots and he likes to eat them. And stick them in his butthole. No, I don't. Go away. So carrots. 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 Not candles. Not candles. At all. That's a very that different. Would not have, I would not have eaten very candles. Very different thing. You like raw carrots, do you? Hey, sure. Who doesn't eat raw carrots? I eat them sort of out of I obligation prefer, if really? they're if they're on a plate or something Some dip yeah they got it there's got to be a dip in in the mix i prefer just, raw carrots to steamed carrots then cooked carrots yeah i really? prefer raw carrots to steamed carrots yeah huh. Huh. i don't know why just what's your favorite dip what do you dip your carrots in i don't dip them in anything you just eat the carrot i just eat the carrot yeah it's, a, it's not a dipper i really. do it out of a sense like okay i know i need to eat vegetables i'll just eat so let these. me just coat it in some but it's not fatty dip it's not uh it's not a, it's not a love Mm. Quite a stretch of the imagination. Mm. Mm. Well, there you go. Eddie Penn's eating something. Just we were talking, jackpot was let out. Yeah, there of he is. Thing. Can I stay out for a while? No. no. Got to get back in. Sorry. That's it for today's Hello, Death. Hello, Death. You're dead now, so shut up. Now it's time for all the entertainment news in a segment I call the Showbiz Beat. Ah, tragic news. I mean, she had a lovely, wonderful, long life and a 75-year career in show business, but I was still saddened at the passing of Angela Lansbury. Yeah. Of course, huge TV star on Murder, She Wrote, but got her big break in movies. In fact, in 1944, her first role was in a film called Gaslight, which you've never seen, if you've never seen with uh, Ingrid Bergman, just a terrific film. She was 17 years old with no experience, and she just crushed it and started working in the movies at MGM. She was in the, a lot of movies in the 1940s at MGM. She played Elvis Presley's mother in 1961 in the movie Blue Hawaii. Wow. He was 26, she was 36. She was playing old women when she was in her 30s. That's crazy. I mean, I, my memories of her are old and that was- She, she was, always was seemed 80s. to be older she to She always us, seemed right? to be ancient. 
She was in The Manchurian Candidate, too, a great film with Lawrence Harvey. Played his mother as well. She was 36 when she <laughs> filmed that. He was 33. <laughs> so she's absolutely had the corner. Smoker, huh? A corner on the market of... A smoker. Uh, she was an attractive lady, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Then, of course, on Broadway, she was a legend. Uh, she took the title role in Mame. She was also in Sweeney Todd. She was in Gypsy. I mean, just a tremendous career. Won a bunch of Tonys. And uh, she had Oscar nominations. She was the most nominated actress in a role on television ever. I believe still has the record with 12 nominations oh, wow. for Emmys for Murder, She Wrote. Wow. But uh, yeah, she has passed away now at 96. Like I mentioned, a great long life and a great career. Yeah. And of course, let's not forget the voice of Mrs. Potts in that Disney classic. True. That song, Tale as Old as Time, gets me every time she sings it. Here she is doing it live in a celebration for the 25th anniversary of that film. Just a tremendous performer. Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme, beauty and the beast. Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme, beauty and the beast. Run along and get in the cupboard, Chip. <laughs> time you was in bed. Good night, love. <laughs> What a class act. Yeah. Oh, Eddie, you must be so sad. Why? Disney yesterday announced they are delaying a ton of their Marvel properties. No. Pushing a lot of them what back in pushing? their scheduling. I haven't even heard about this. Uh, Blade, which was supposed to be out in 2013, has now been moved to fall of 2024. A oh, bummer. Deadpool 3, which yeah. we were supposed to see in uh, early fall of 2024. Yeah. Now, Christmas time, 2024. Well, that's not that bad. Fantastic Four has been moved back a year. A year? A year. That's going to push all of Phase four, 5 back, I guess. Or Avengers Secret Wars also has been pushed back a year, so they are rapidly reshuffling their film schedule. Huh, I wonder if they're throwing in more films in between if they come up with other films. I don't know. Or maybe they're focusing more on their t TV department. Maybe. We'll have to wait and see. Blake Shelton has announced he's exiting The Voice with the upcoming 23rd season of that show. Oh, no. <laughs> you, you don't watch The Voice, do no, you? No, I don't. I do watch The Voice because my kid loves it because uh, Olivia is a singer and she loves to watch okay. the, the audition process and then yeah. the competition part, sure. and we have a good time watching that together. And he's he's very likable and funny sure on that is. show. Sure he is. He's the only judge who's been there every season oh. of that show. So it's a big deal that he's okay. leaving. Also a big deal that Blink-182 is getting back together again. Yes. They've just announced they're going on a world tour uh, Tom DeLonge is back. He famously left that band. Travis Barker, of course, had that horrible accident. Um, I referred to his uh, his marrying uh, the Kardashian, not not the, not the plain <laughs> not one. Actual. so much. Mark Hoppus was battling can battling cancer. Yeah. A lot of these guys have had near misses. How many reunions is this for them? This has been a couple times. They've it's tried been a to get couple times they've split up and got back yeah. together again. Yeah, their first split was 2005, and they got back together. Four years later, and then 2015, Tom said he was out, yeah. and now they're back again. So uh, they're going to do a world tour and apparently have a new album as well. Oh, yeah. So, Speaking of the Kardashians, uh, Kylie Jenner has announced she's got a new cosmetic line coming out based on Batman. What? You heard That's me. That's going to get you piping hot. Oh, fuck. 
just steaming. Oh. <laughs> Send them a strongly worded letter. <laughs> Let's take a look at today's celebrity birthdays. All these stars born on October 12th. Fiddler Marty McGuire of the Chicks, formerly known as the Dixie Chicks. She's 53 today. Cowboy take me away. Fly this girl as high as you can into the wild blue. Uh, actor and massive dick Kirk Cameron is 52 <laughs> years old today. <laughs> actor Hugh Jackman, speaking of things marvelly. Yeah. He's going to be returning as Wolverine in Deadpool 3, but he's so much more than Wolverine. He really is. He's a brilliant actor, and he's a song and dance man. Yeah, he's so talented. Did you ever see The Greatest Showman, the thing he did about, I didn't the, see the, it. about I've Barnum? I've seen clips of it. I've oh, seen you're movie. missing out. What a great performance. Tell me, do you want to go? Where it's coming? sing and dance and everything. He can pretty much do it all. I hate him. He's 54. <laughs> also 54 today, to give you a little perspective, Adam Rich, the little kid from Eight is Enough. Oh my God. Is the same age as Hugh Jackman, if that doesn't make you feel old wow. enough. Jordan Pundick of Newfound Glory is 43. Actor Josh Hutcherson from The Hunger Games is 30, and Sam Moore of the classic duo Sam and Dave is 87. And that's it for today's Celebrity Birthdays. I'm Ralph Garman. I walk the showbiz beat. Hey there, it's Ralph Garman here. I hope you're enjoying the show. And if you are, why not subscribe to The Ralph Report so you can hear it every day, Monday through Friday. For just 15 cents a day, you can be a one-star general supporter, and that will get you the show in your ear holes Monday through Friday. Of course, there are two, three, and four-star general levels as well, which gets you more bonus content and more access to me. So if you like what you're hearing, why not subscribe? Go to patreon.com slash the Ralph Report. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash The Ralph Report. Subscribe today so you don't miss a thing. And now it's time to check in across the pond with our UK correspondent, our own soul man, if you will. It's Steve Ashton. Steve. Steve. Steve Ashton. No, Ralph, you're so cool. You make D. Snyder look like Mark Snyder. Who's Mark Snyder? I don't know. I heard Edwin talking about him, some bullshit to do with his football team. I think he owns the Washington... Oh, uh, Daniel Who's Snyder. Owns... Is it Daniel Snyder? Oh, yeah. fuck, fuck that right up, haven't I? <laughs> hey, nerds, guess what? Doctor Who's in the news. Don't piss off the nerds. Hey, as we know, outgoing Doctor Who star Jodie Whittaker is set for one final outing. Yet she's going to reveal that the master is gay. She's going to out... The mar- ah, not that kind of not that kind of outing, of course. But he is the campus character, I think, in the show, isn't he? The master. He's yeah, quite he's camp. Pretty camp, yeah. 
And that's behind Davros, who's like a bitter old queen rolling around trying to spoil other people's fun, isn't he? He's like, yeah, oh, I can't stand those Thals. Oh, look at them with all their blonde hair. Oh, they're so self-satisfied, like bloody Aryan bitches. That's uh, Davros. Gay Davros. I think that's what I'm going to do for the next episode of Lights, Camera, Ashton. I'll dress up as Davros. Gay Davros as like, oh, Fucking stop messing, stop mucking around, you fucking Khaleds. Anyway, no, it's anyway, I've got went fucking bright off the tangent there. No, it's the final outing in the TARDIS in the upcoming BBC centenary special, The Power of the Doctor. And we all know exactly uh, when the episode will air now because the BBC has confirmed that the special will be broadcast on BBC One and BBC iPlayer. That's their on-demand service online on Sunday, the 23rd of October. And it will air in the United States. I'll be honest, I didn't look into that, but it'll be at some point. Oh, come on. I don't know. You can fucking find that out yourself. Although the special is highly anticipated, it says in this BBC press release, uh, little has been given away about exactly what will occur in the episode. However, we do know that Sasha Darwin will be returning as the master and uh, classic villains will also play a crucial role. Can you guess which ones, Ralph? Oh, many, I would say many hundreds of foes, right? The doctors met over the many, many years it's been on. You know, they've got the Santarans, you've got, you know, all sorts of different people. There's the things from Mars and all sorts of different shit. Um, <laughs> who do you reckon is going to be making an appearance? I'm guessing the old Cybermen. Yeah. Any 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 others? Uh, oh, let me see. Uh the Oog, perhaps, or the Ood? No, fucking Daleks again. The Daleks <laughs> and the Cybermen. <laughs> The Cybermen, the Daleks, and the Master, they're fucking throwing everything at the wall, aren't they? But the new plot synopsis for the feature-length episode has also been released, uh, teasing what to expect. It says, in the feature-length special, to mark her last adventure, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor must fight for her very existence against her deadliest enemies, the Daleks, the Cybermen, and the, her arch-nemesis, the Master, yet again. Who is attacking a speeding bullet train on the edges of a distant galaxy? Why are seismologists going missing from 21st century Earth? Who is defacing some of history's most iconic paintings? Why is a Dalek trying to make contact with the Doctor? What hold What hold does the mesmeric, mesmeric Rasputin have over Tsar Nicholas in 1916 Russia? And who gives a frilly fuck about any of this? Oh, stop. I do. The final question. Nerds, of course. And you. <laughs> the Doctor apparently faces multiple threats and a battle to the death. Shall we have a listen to the trailer, Ralph? Yes, please. Here you are. Hello, Doctor. Welcome to the end of your existence. A dozen of the world's leading seismologists have gone missing. Fifteen of the world's most valuable paintings have disappeared. Let you in on a little secret. A Dalek incursion on Earth is imminent. Has it never occurred to you that it could be a trap? This isn't a day you are erased forever. Bit of a conversation stopper. It's incredibly dangerous. It was a really bad idea. Anything could happen. I don't want it to end. Yeah, I mean, you know, perfectly serviceable. Uh, you can see the trailer online. Looks like there'll be no consummation of the relationship between Yaz 
and the doctor, which which I think is a shame, isn't it? However, yeah. if you are interested, though, Ralph, in that kind of thing, you can read my fan fiction featuring Tegan and Perry, and it involves <laughs> it involves a very creative use of a sonic screwdriver. All right then. Hey, so Michael Caine's in the news. Oh, what's up with old Mike? So Michael Caine is embroiled in a legal drama. And I don't mean trying to stop the release of Jaws the Revenge on Blu-ray. No, um, <laughs> apparently he's not happy to hear that estate agents or realtors, as you call them in the United States, Marsh and Parsons, had used his likeness on a poster in the window of their branch in Kensington, West London. Now, the ad featured a picture of Caine with a caption, classic double-glazed 60s build Door may need replacing. Oh, the wit of real realtors. They're well known for it, aren't they? Oh. Um, now, Kane's team were furious after learning that the firm was attempting to cash in on their client's fame. Now, I understand that the news prompted his Los Angeles agent to send emails with the words, without his permission, written in capitals. Let's hope the furora doesn't distract Kane from his role in his current film, uh, the Second World War drama, The Great Escaper, where he starts alongside Glenda Jackson. They're really going for that youth uh, audience there with that, aren't they? <laughs> yes. He starts alongside Glenda Jackson as a veteran who breaks out of his care home to join in the D-Day 70th anniversary celebrations. It sounds thrilling, doesn't it? Um <laughs> Ironically, uh, he's recently sold a property, his Surrey mansion, for three and a half million pounds, making a staggering two and a half million pounds profit on the property that he bought for one pound back in mil uh, back in uh, sorry for one million rather. I was going to say that's a good deal. The million was on a different line on my document for the <laughs> one million pounds into the year two thousand. So in twenty two years, he's made. 2.5 million. That's a pretty good return, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised that he's got such a problem, given that you know many of his films, of course, have, have featured the issues associated with selling houses and showing houses, all the ins and outs of the realty business. Uh, <laughs> sure. Oh, here we go. <clears throat> Alfie Simple. Oh man. The Italian marble countertop job. <laughs> And escrow to victory. <laughs> <laughs> All right, full disclosure. It was fucking too hard. I spent ridiculous amount of time trying to crowbar. So first of all, I had to look up realtor terms, right? right. And then try and fucking fit those into Michael Caine films that people would have heard of. What a mm. fucking task that was. And I wasted far too much time to come up with it anymore. You know, and the ones I came up with, I'll be honest, were a bit below par. If you think you could do better, by the way, please add to the discussion on Patreon in the comments, and Ralph will send you a prize for the best one of $7,000. Wait, hold on a second. We All right, talk okay. about this. All right, and he will send you seven cents. <laughs> there we go. That's more commensurate, isn't it? Anyway, I better go now, Ralph. I'm actually preparing for my virtual seminar that takes place this Sunday. So to all Garmy members and focused on being a more influential and confident communicator, it's called Executive Influence, and it will take place at 10 a.m. on Sunday, Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, and 12 p.m. G sorry, 6 p.m. GMT. For further details, email me, Steve, at theralphreport.com. I think I need to go on that course to be a more influential and confident communicator and not just fucking spill over his words. Uh, uh, yeah, and Gordon, dog, excrement, etc. I'll talk to you again on Friday. Steve's right. He will be joining us again on Friday and tomorrow as well with a bonus Ask a Brit. So more, more Steve to come this week. Meanwhile, it is Wednesday. That means it's time for us to take a look at a smash hit song and the artist who created it, never quite able to achieve that level of success. Again, we call them 
One Hit Wonders. It's a One Hit Wonder. One Hit Wonder. One Hit Wonders. It's a very common tale. Usually when people request a One Hit Wonder, it's a song that they like. Yeah. This may be the first time someone called in asking for a One Hit Wonder that they can't fucking stand. <laughs> Why would they do that? I think he'll explain himself. Hey, Ralph. Uh, hey, Eddie. Uh, I do want to do a uh, One Hit Wonder suggestion. And I'm not suggesting this because I like this song. I Somehow it came back into my life, and I I fucking hate this song. It's, <laughs> it's really bad. Anyways, the song is called Best Day of My Life by American Authors. This thing fucking tortured me, okay, when this was out. It was always on. It was a top 40 song. <laughs> Every fucking everywhere. I wanted to die, okay? I don't know how else to say it. I hate this song with fucking passion. Alright? This is some of the most low effort shit I've ever heard. It's just some dude talking loud over a fucking mandolin. And that's like the whole fucking song. Fucking hate this thing. But I want other people to suffer as well. Alright. So that's my one here wonder. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Uh, you're you're not wrong. This song was everywhere in 2013. This is from a band called American Authors, guys who met together at the Berkeley College of Music back in the early 2000s, and they released their debut album, Oh, What a Life, in 2013. The second single from that album was Best Day of My Life, and it was everywhere. Not only was it a smash hit here in the United States and the UK, it was in the top 10 in Australia, number five in Canada, and it, it landed the top of charts in some odd countries where you wouldn't think it necessarily mm. would. It was number one in Mexico, for example. Really? Number eight in Poland. Number six in Slovenia. Wow. Number 10 in Sweden. And if that wasn't bad enough, if you didn't like this song, you were in trouble. Because commercially, it was a monster. It was in a ton of commercials. Yeah. They used it in a Lowe's commercial. Uh, Dotson used it. Lay's Potato Chips. Um... In Australia, it was used for um, a, a telecom provider. Jesus. Hyundai used it here in the States as well. It's been in movies. It was in The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which is the movie you yeah. talked about recently from the video vault. It's been on TV shows. It simply <laughs> is everywhere for this poor bastard. I feel so, so bad. When Colton was in kindergarten. His teacher asked me to cut a video together for the school at the end of the year, for that class at the end of the year. And I guess that was the class's favorite song. So I had to use that song as the the song for the bed of the video and you i hear that a couple times i had you? earphones for like two two straight weeks trying to cut this video together i fucking hate this it is a <laughs> so much it is a popular soundtrack for a, a montage of videos yeah. oh my god I've, oh, I've heard this song a thousand times yeah it's everywhere and uh to make it even worse i don't even think it's mandolin we're hearing at the beginning i think it's banjo mm. as if that wasn't bad enough anyway here is today's one hit wonder the band American Authors, never capable of having another hit of this size, and maybe that's for the best. <laughs> Here it is, best day of my life.
play it again for no, you? No, I'm good. You I sure? Fucking, I hate the fact you hear him laughing in the background. <laughs> Three, two, one. Yeah, they could have they could have cut that. Huh? Fucking wait, like, oh, it's, you're so raw, you're in the studio. They are, man. Fucking douchebags. They're, they're cutting edge millennials. Oh, God. And Colton, every time it's on the radio, it has to stay on. Because oh, Colton still loves that song. Man. You got to fix your kid. I can't. That's it for today's One Hit Wonder Wednesday. It's the One Hit Wonder. One Hit Wonder. One Hit Wonders. It's a very common tale. And now, before we go, as I mentioned, I really want you to stick around and listen to my conversation with Candy Milo, American actress extraordinaire, just a superstar in the world of voiceover. You know her from Tiny Toon Adventures. As I mentioned, she was the voice of Dexter in Dexter's Laboratory from season three on. Uh, Jimmy Neutron, Cow and Chicken. I mean, some of the favorite shows uh, over the past 30 years. You can hear her all over it. And on top of it, she's a great comedian. She's a great singer. And for the first time ever, she's now telling the story about her, well, unorthodox childhood, to say the least. From the age of seven, she was raised in a house that was filled with um, mental um, health patients, patients with mental illness that, yeah. that were being cared for by her father. And she said the whole family had to get involved. So mother, father, and five kids all had to participate in wow. this as well. It's extraordinary. Imagine living in a home where you couldn't invite your friends over for a birthday party yeah. or, or a, a play date, you know? Anyway, it's a fascinating story. She's a great lady, and she's very funny. Here's my pal, Candy Milo. Well, what a treat this is to be hanging out with actress, singer, comedian, voiceover superstar, Candy Milo. Candy, so lovely to spend some time with you again. Thank you, Ralph. I, it has been so many years. I think, do we want to say 35? Do I we think, wanna, yeah. I think so. Because I didn't have a daughter. I don't think I, I was married. No, I th we were all kids. You were you were the littlest one. You, what you we're talking ounces. about, kids, is a, <laughs> a, a short film that I did when I was a, a struggling actor. Although I'm still a struggling actor, but... Uh, we're all struggling actors. <laughs> 1989, I think it was, I got oh. cast in a film called Rough Day at the Office. And it was a short film. And it was this amazing cast of people who were just sort of coming up and starting out. And this wonderful array of these brilliant character actors that I'd watched on television my whole life. And there, stuck in the middle with me, was Candy Milo. <laughs> Kathy Griffin. Kathy Griffin, Kathy right? Griffin was in it. Uh, Mary Pat Gleason, who, yes. of course, a great character actress. But Great then there was William Wyndham, who I had watched yes. everything growing up. Jack Riley, who played Mr. Carlin on the Bob Newhart yes. show. I and oh my God, I have this for you. I'm gonna get it to you because I have it. Um, you know, I I'm in the process of like like uh, tailgating technology. So I had just transferred them from VHS to these DVDs and now DVDs. I don't have a single machine in my house that has a DVD player. So I bought a cheap one to try and get them all uploaded to iMovie so that I can keep them digitally on separate on thumb drives. And I came across this and I thought, I'm going to watch it. So I want you to know, I bought off of Amazon this little tiny weightless um, DVD player so that I could watch Rough Day at the Office. And you were Hilarious. I told you before we started recording that you reminded me of a very, very young uh, Buster Keaton. <laughs> was, you were so cute and so funny. So funny. And uh, weren't you 
you were basically wordless. I mean, things happened to you. Yes, basically. Yes. Yeah, I had right. a few lines, but basically it was just me reacting to the rest of you crazies <laughs> running around. <laughs> My filing, one, one paper in the file, one paper right. behind the cabinet, one paper in the file, one paper behind the cabinet. And I owned all of the clothes and the makeup that I wore in that film. I we just, all did. There was zero yeah. budget to do that. Right, thing. exactly. I, and exactly. I remember just being so impressed by you. Thank and you. then a few years later, I'm watching television and the, a Mervyn's commercial comes on. Oh my and there's God. this adorable little girl there saying, open, open, open. Oh. And I was like, it was, that's Candy Milo. And it was so funny because it was one of the very first commercials I had ever done. And we... um we shot one that wasn't like open, like waiting for a sale. And it was a lot of dialogue. And you know, my mouth, which is why I do cartoons. <laughs> right. I could handle really rapid dialogue well. And I was sitting at a lunch counter with surrounded by two women I'm still friends with to this day. And then they just decided to have me do another uh, commercial. And that open, open, open line was... Um, the client, the Mervyn's department stores and the um, ad agency were very unhappy with how it was going. No. So the client walked up with the director to give me um, uh, to give me a uh, direction. And they were both giving opposite direction. Of course. So I walked out and Mervyn's didn't, I was so tiny that Mervyn's didn't have clothes that fit me. So I had gaffers clips all the way down my back. And I remember running on and forgetting what they told me. And I leaned my forehead against the, the thing, thinking they'd cut. And I went, open, open. <laughs> and the whole set was silent. And I thought, I believe they'll be sending me home now. And George Rue, um, the director said, check the gate. And they ended up tagging that on to a take that they had all liked. And I, I think they just didn't like the way their commercial was written. And then they made a whole campaign out of this ad lib, and merely, Ralph, from me being scared out of my mind and super confused and going, well, I'm just going to end this spot right now. Open, open, open. <laughs> And that line, you're right. It ran forever. Even after you were long gone from the commercials, yes. they were still using that. Yeah. And they had they had made banners to put in in the stores. It it was a lot of fun. I think I did 51 commercials for Mervyn's over eight years. I was very sad um, for them to go out of business. I'm thinking, don't you want the grandmother now to come up and go open, <laughs> open, open? Speaking of grandmothers, you're now... You've taken over for June Foray as the voice of Granny and all the Warner Brothers stuff. What a yes! What it's what so a blast, fun, man. right? What a dream! Literally a dream job because, um, you know, show business, as you know, is not kind to the unknown or women, um, yeah. really. And it's it's really difficult. It, the same thing kind of happens in voiceovers. You get a little older. There's a new crop. There's a new take on things. They have a new vibe. Young people got it. So when I had auditioned. Um, you know, who knew I was in her her voice print, but she was a rip roaring kind of a badass lady. Um, she was in her late 90s when she passed away. I believe she was 95 when she won her first Emmy. And I was thrilled to take it over because I she was never credited in any of the cartoons. It only said voice characterizations by Mel Blank. Mm. And so um I feel like Granny is getting its due, and I give all 
all the glory to to the late June foray and what a blast it's been bringing granny into the 21st century with cell phones and granny what a, with a cell phone what a crazy career you've had over the years <laughs> I mean, right. literally, actress and singer and cabaret performer and voiceovers, it's stand-up comedy. I mean, you've just literally done it all. And it's amazing how you have had this decades-long career that's just been so impressive to me. You know, and I think it comes from my parents. And I really do that. My mom used to tell me, you know, my dad was very much burn it all to the ground. Like, forget about it. He was a stand-up. Um, and my mom was very much, you know, you're in charge of your canoe. So it's better if you pull your oars in and work and follow that canoe down a flow and use your oars to push away from the rocks, but, but go with the flow because you could spend your whole life fighting for what you think you want to do when maybe what you should be doing is right in front of you. And I, I've been a long time, 32 years, 30 years in voiceover, and I think I've worked because it's married it marries together everything that I've done, stand up, singing. Um, but I have an incredible freedom because I mostly play little boys or old ladies and very big, broad character things, which brings in that live acting and all of that. And, and so I think, I'm Ralph, I think I'm happy. Um, would I have ever picked this in my 30s and my uh, and my late? No. Absolutely not. But by the time I had hit like 31, 30, 31, I was like, this is this is great because I'm now creating characters where they say, just go, just ad lib. And I'm like, there's your stand up. We all sing in these things. Well, there's the singing. I get to sing as different people on the side. Voiceover provides me the opportunity to, um, you know, uh, do other things that I love. I do musicals all over LA. I wrote a book in my spare time. Yeah, sure. Spare time. But I, you know, honestly, I was going, I was saying to you that it gives me freedom because last night, uh, yesterday I had done um, 12 opportunities. That's what I call auditions, opportunities. <laughs> and I, I, I was sitting watching TV and I thought, you know, I hate that. And because I have like a little, um, closet, you know, my booth where I keep my winter coats. <laughs> I went in there at 10 o'clock at night and re-recorded everything and recut it until midnight. And I walked out of there like kind of sweaty and exhausted, but I was, I said, I absolutely loved every single thing that I sent in, every single thing that I went. That's the freedom that voiceover, that's the gift that voiceover has given me. And, um, you know, so yay. And I could work during the pandemic. Yeah. A studio. And I and I know a lot of people couldn't. And so I feel really lucky about that. And for those who may be interested in being an actor or a performer, and you mentioned auditioning, that's the best you can do, right? Is to do something that you love. Because, you know, in this business, most of the time, we don't get the jobs for all the strangest reasons. But right. you get to control what you put out there and feel good about it. And that's as good as it gets. And I would say to anybody that is a struggling actor, and we all are, like really, truly, you're not alone. I have been doing this 30 years. I still audition. Yeah. I still go in that closet. Of course, now I'm in my PJs, but I'm auditioning. And I say, what if you just pretend that that's the only acting you get to do today? That's the only time you get to practice your craft is the audition. And if you think about 
<clears throat> what you send out into the universe, like your auditions, you are not trying to book the job. It's better if you think that you're trying to book the room. You're trying to, whoever is listening to you, you want them to keep listening and to give you another chance, even if you didn't nail it. So if you're tap dancing and trying to guess what the producers want, it's, it, will, it will inevitably backfire on you. The best thing to do is to send in what you think this character is and to do the job that you would do on a set, do the job for the audition. And then That's, you're either right for it or they hire the, the producer's girlfriend. Right. I don't know. Or some celebrity to get a name on, on the poster. Right. Right. Listen, you mentioned your dad, and I want to talk about your brand new book. It's just out now in stores yeah. everywhere, Surviving yes. the Odd. <laughs> and I have to say, when I first heard what you were writing about, your childhood, this is the most crazy, bizarre childhood that I personally have ever known anyone to come out of. This is a crazy story it about is. your dad, as you mentioned, professional singer, comedian, Huge in the 50s. And, you know, the, the not, he was a huge nightclub performer. Louis Prima, he opened for. Cab Calloway, he opened for. Louis Armstrong, he opened for. The Coasters, the Aces. He was everywhere that he was. He had nightclubs in San Francisco and Stockton. And then TV came and people start, stopped going to nightclubs. Like we watch streaming rather than going to movies. The industry changes. So what my dad, who was ever since he was a little kid, he was a child star at a, at a New York. And he decided that he would open one of California's very first halfway houses for the mentally ill and emotionally disturbed. Um, and he didn't have enough money to get his family a separate house. So at seven years old, my four siblings and I, my mom and dad, moved into a converted fraternity house a block away from um, San Jose State University. And we took in, at the beginning, six uh, disturbed adults, um, and they lived upstairs while we lived in the den mother's apartment in a fraternity house. Over the 16-year span of this book, which is what I'm taking into account, while my dad owned Milo Arms boarding care home, which was on the side of a van, which was my way to school. And the phone number was our home phone number. Oh, Thanks Lord. so much for playing. Did you want to come over and spend the night or just kill me? And um, we, <laughs> I learned that, um, and, and over the course of this, I think we took in um, and either they moved through or they were they were returned for health reasons. But we we cared for close to 400 um, individuals in the San Francisco, the San Jose Bay Area and from San Jose, California. And this house was famous. It was the the San Jose students knew that it was the house where the Jesus has lived. And um, I lived, you know, I grew up in this area where there were no kids my age. It was fraternity row and then a 7-Eleven and then the college. We took care of these people like they were family. We were like a family care facility. My dad is nuts. He's got a PA system and he is doing a radio show every day 
Um, every meal he would call people to, and then he'd do like five minutes oh stand up. He bought a drum machine, Ralph, and like he'd do like stuff, and then he'd hit like the rim shots. <laughs> and I like my next book is just gonna be honk and I'll, and I'll meet you out front. Like that was what my life was, and I think that I was the most cautious and and the, certainly the only actor in my family. So I think there's a certain sensitivity. And my dad used to say, of all my fucking kids who should have never seen any of this, should have been this one. But I think that I always knew that I would tell this tale. And my book is about my relationship with my father, for good or for bad. He was not a doctor. He, he came from a gigantic gigantic Italian family, 12 brothers and sisters. So big and loud and crazy were not our residents. Big and loud and crazy were the Milos. And we were in charge. And um, I'll, I'll just give you an idea. I remember my father taught me what true humility was. So by the time I was nine, I was putting my fists up to defend our residents from people who would make fun of them. But at seven, I showed my father, or eight, I was a little embarrassed. And so my dad took me to school and I said, just drop me right here. Mm. And he said, yeah, okay. And so he drove up onto the lawn of the school. And as I got out, he laid on the horn. Oh. And it was, I just sat there and I went, got it, got it. So, you know, I've laughed and said, it's like, um, it is like, a family business. We weren't a cleaners. We weren't a bodega. We didn't own like an H salt fish and chips. We were, <laughs> we had a different kind of a family business. We were all involved and everything that I say is true. And I have, um, you know, a, a, the cover of my book, if I can just show you Ralph is, um, it's surviving the odd. Um, that is me, which is about the age. And that is my teacher that showed up at our door, um, I believe a fifth grade teacher of mine, um, because in the 70s, they were still institutionalizing people for alcoholism. Mm. So you could get three meals, you know, three square meals a day and not have to go to prison for it. It used to be, um, you know, you would go through a hospital system and then you would be released into aftercare until you could get it all under control. So um, that's my childhood, <laughs> and I'm fine. I'm really fine. Well, none of us who choose to make a living in show business are fine. Let's not Thank kid ourselves. You. But don't you know now why I did? Yes, like, exactly. I had no choice. I had absolutely no choice. We were feral. Did I have a bedtime? No. Did somebody make sure I had a bath? No. Because as my dad would say, you're my kid. I expect you to do better. That you can't. I got. I got. You know. 12 adults, I have to go make sure they, they're bathed. And I thought, well, okay, fine. I make my own breakfast to make my own lunch, come home and have dinner. Um, it was just a, it was a wild existence. It was every New York stage entertainer's life. Like if you took Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds, but you took out the mental illness, <laughs> it would be that life. Like we were like, we were show, we were the kids of a showbiz guy. And then he quit, but he still didn't have any skills as like a stay-at-home dad. Um, you know, it was it wasn't that kind of a thing. This was just his next gig. And um, you know, he ran it like a nightclub. He he dressed these guys 
He had a club photographer. That's where all the pictures come from. He knew a photographer. And um, everything in it is true. To the best of your knowledge, what was his motivation behind this idea? Because as you mentioned, he didn't have a background in sociology or medicine or anything else. Why did he, why was this his next chapter, do you think? You know, it was funny. I remember the event that I used to go with him when he would do his stand-up and his singing because he worked a lot with the USO. Because the USO used to pay incredibly and it used to be your service. Like Mm. my dad was in the army. No, he was in the USO, which was a service organization. It was part of the armed forces. So I used to go with him and there was an event where the doctors talked to him and said, you know, I got to tell you, they're going to be closing us down. The the talk on the street is that this new governor, Ronald Reagan, is going to be balancing the budget. He's going to be closing these facilities. They're very expensive. And so my, they were talking to my dad and they said, you know, these guys really love you. You're so personable if you ever thought about we're, we're going to be doing something we're going to need a home where there's a little bit more care there are probably going to be a lot of people who had been institutionalized for decades they don't know what's what they're going to need somebody like you so I always thought Ralph that that was the catalyst until my mom passed away last year very elderly great life the last box we pulled down in the last room in the last closet had at least 20 letters that couldn't make it into the book of the armed forces thanking my father for his many visits, his Christmas show, his holiday show, his this show, Benai Brith, this show for um, damaged children and veterans, um, mentally ill veterans. And I think that that was his big deal was he thought he was going to get a house filled with Vietnam vets in 1967, 68. That's what he thought he was going to get. That's what he thought he was equipped for. It'll be great. They're shell-shocked. We now know that as PTSD. We're going to get him in. We're going to get him out. It's not what he was given. Mm. When we he got severe uh, mental retardation, it was a, um, a term for illness in the 1960s and 70s in the DSM-2. Right. And there is mild, moderate, severe, and profound. And we had mostly severe and profound mentally retarded. Now it's developmentally disabled, which I acknowledge in the book, as well as talk about what the words were like in the 70s, how we called people who had illnesses and how we shamed them and blamed them. And I think that, um, you know, that I think his calling was that he was always he always knew that he had a way into their hearts and that he could reach these people and that they gravitated. He had a sort of charisma. I like to say I have the same thing. And I want you to know that when the world is ending, I will know and I'll call you because a strange man who is momentarily speaking to a fire hydrant will cross (laughs) the street and tell me that the world is going to end. So I think my dad was kind of this magnet and he had a charisma and he he did this whole thing. We had a barber shop in, and he had an old Italian guy teaching these guys how to be barbers. Goodwill started to do their repairs in our house, in our day room. We had a lot of macaroni art. We had a lot of macaroni art. And I think my dad was great at it. Um, and I think he always wanted to do it. I think the real problem was that the, the um, closing of the hospitals, Ralph, happened so quickly. And like many um, 
government things, they were woefully not prepared, woefully not prepared. I I did all my research in San Jose for term from term papers of students who were around at the time, mm. like people. So I had numbers and I knew when they were releasing because I had papers from 69, 70, they were all on microfiche. And I read these and the ideas so that you get the scale, the numbers could be wrong, they could be right, but they were expecting about 30,000 people released in the San Jose Bay Area from four hospitals throughout the San Francisco and San Jose Bay Areas. And they had roughly 4,800 beds, roughly 5,000 beds. They let, in a month, they let out um, 220,000 people. Dear God. And they did what they do with the homeless today or the houseless. They were shipping them to other states. They were hoping their families would take them in. They um, were, people were preparing beds everywhere. The drag was immediately when Reagan did it, Nixon, who was president, did it nationally. Mm. So we could have had our our residents, our um, the patients from these hospitals absorbed into neighboring states, except neighboring states began to balance their budget by closing mental institutions. And it was just, you know, it was just one of those things. A really perfect bad storm. Thing. Yeah. yeah, a perfect storm. And, you know, they were begging people to open these houses. And uh, my dad wanted to give something back to society. It was my childhood. I didn't get a sash. I didn't even get a ribbon. So that is that is what it was. And then he it closed down in 1984 um, simply because they put a moratorium in San Jose over anybody getting any more licenses mm. because San Jose State was turning into um, mental illness row. Mm. And, you know, it's very much that not in my backyard, you know, Ralph, not in my backyard. And, you know, I think if more communities had opened group homes, uh, you'd have less, you would have had less people on the streets. And I think what we see today is 50 years of everybody being okay with it. Like, we're okay seeing people on the street. Oh, well, they must be mentally ill. They must be lazy. And, you know, you have to remember in 68, when these, when, when Ag News was emptied, you never saw people like this. You never saw the truly, truly um, uh, developmentally disabled and or people with other illnesses on top of that, dwarfism, um, other things that compounded because we kept them locked away. Mm. So, or you only saw them in movies about marijuana. This is (laughs) what happens, you know, or radioactive mice, you know, this is, (laughs) and so you can imagine the people with gloves going, you know, the the dainty clutching their pearls going, I'm not standing in line in 7-Eleven next to that. Yeah. That, That needs to go back under the covers. And my dad was like, watch me. Not only... Are you going to stand in line with that? I'm bringing them to church with me. And we're going to bring my kids to school in the same van at, when I take them back for their checkups. I think that that's what it was. It was in-your-face homeownership. And uh, little reasons I'm going to live alone for a long, long time, young man. <laughs> I can't imagine. Uh, you know, I've, I'm the father of a, of a young girl. And 
she's now going into middle school and I oh. see the, I see the the dynamics of of how girls treat other girls and and you know trying to navigate that world. I can't imagine living in the circumstances that you lived in and trying to socialize and be a kid yeah. when you you don't have you can't bring the, your girls home to have a sleepover and you can't nope. You nope. can't do never had a thing. never had a slumber party, never had anybody sleep over. And I think one of the aspects that I talk about that's, you know, um, the book is really about my relationship with my father and my relationship with myself, because I ended up going to an all girls Catholic high school. Mm. And what I did was that by the time I got out from my car and if my mom took me she would take me in a, in a station wagon. If my dad took me, he'd take me in the van. Either way, I was let off blocks away so that nobody knew where I was coming from. Mm. And then by the time I walked through the front doors of my school, I was somebody completely different. Mm. I never talked about it. I never told my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad was in show business, and he was operative word was. And now he was a businessman and he did a lot of things. And I just never talked about it. And I did a a reading of my book last weekend um, in San Jose at my hometown. And all my friends came, um, really wonderful women. And also my high school, the best four years of my life, because I was any place but home. And I would be there and I love to do homework and I would stay late, yada, da, yada, da. Um, and I want you to know, I think my daughter got um, stills of the audience with their mouths open. And every single one of them said, I had no idea. And I mm. said, I can one up you. The administration had no idea either. Nobody knew what my parents did, only that their checks were always late and that we were barely scraping by. Um, And I think that it was really tough. And yes, girls are very tough on girls, um, but there is a way to power through that if you know who you are and you are supported by the male member of your family, the father. Mm -hmm. If 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 you are supporting her and telling her what to expect from life and to expect to how to be treated, the, the inner strength that comes from that is is amazing. And I got it a, a different way. I saw what it was like for other people to be so trying so hard um, and being disrespected that I took off all the onus off of my troubles and took up for them and mm. said, you know what? Don't worry about me. I got it. I'm a and I am a very tough kid because of that. I am a a, a very tough woman and I'm very tough in business because there are certain things that happen a certain way or they don't happen at all. And a lot of that rigidity is so that I don't break. Fascinating. So that I don't fall apart, you know. Um as I get older, it's a little it's it gets to be a little, you know, iffy, iffy, but I I like to tell people I'm fine. But nobody I think that has worked with me in voiceover for um, the past 30 years has any idea. The only person would be Rob Paulson, who's pinky in the brain and teenage man. I know Rob very well. He's just the biggest heart in the world. The biggest heart. He read me um, very early on when it was, 
we're, it, was, it was a lot of blame forward. Nobody liked me. I didn't have any friends. This happened to me. Oida, oida. And then what I redid really during the pandemic was to take a look at um, pointing all those fingers back at me and trying to say, what did I do to further this along? What did I learn by what I did? How would I do it differently? Um, and what I'm hoping that readers get from this, which is what I think Rob got, is that you'll go on this journey with me through this and learn to let it all go as I learned to let it all go and just let it all slide off like I learned just to let it all slide off because there but for the grace of a diagnosis go we. Yeah. And you look know? look who you are now. And as tough as that experience was, it, you know, we are the end result of all the challenges that we face yes. throughout our lives, right? And, and you, Ralph, when you think about it, look at how you and I have come together after what, 30, 30 years. Yeah. And we can look at each other, recognize our our young, 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 young selves. We're still talking as if no time has passed. So whatever you and I have been through, whatever disappointments, whatever struggles, I mean, I have been divorced. I have been let down. I have been disappointed. I have been harmed. I have been everything. But our core person comes through and through whatever we did, however feral uh, we were raised, we still know how to connect. You and I still know how to connect to another person and maintain that relationship despite all the noise. And that's what I would tell somebody else. Just find your core and despite all the noise, love anyway. Be nice anyway. Be kind anyway. The book is called Surviving the Odd. It is everywhere <laughs> you get books. If you're in the Southern California area, if you're around LA, Candy's going to be doing a signing and reading at the Barnes and Noble at the Grove this Saturday, October 15th at 2 p.m. And Yvette Nicole Brown's going to be moderating the whole thing. So that's kind Isn't of Isn't cool. that cool? Yeah. yeah, that's very cool. I like her a lot. And she really, she read this and um, I think she really resonated into um, the whole judging a book by its cover, mm. so to speak. And I think that's what we're mostly going to focus on is, is um, how much of what you talk touched on Ralph is how you function in the real world despite living in this sort of men, uh, mayhem bubble yeah uh, a fascinating story a great book please pick it Thank up you. I think you'll enjoy the read and what a genuine pleasure it is to talk Thank to you. you and connect after all this time let's not make it nearly so long again okay? yeah really really I know that I will I'll through Brenda I will get everything to you I'm going to try to upload a rough day at the office but it as soon as she said it was you, I remembered exactly who you were. And then I sent her a photo of the film. I think of you often. You you look wonderful. You've had an amazing career yourself. And good on you. And more for us, I hope. Let's grab a cup of coffee or something sometime soon. Please, please. All right. Thank you so much, Candy. You're welcome. Bye, Ralph. Again, the book is called Surviving the Odd. It's available everywhere. It just came out on the 4th of this month. And again, she'll be at The Grove, Barnes & Noble, Saturday at 2 p.m. for a signing and reading as well. So check it out if you're in the area. That's it for today, kids. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Oh, I forgot to mention, tonight, Ooh. Four Star Generals, mm. tonight is the night. Ooh. We're going to hang out together, 7 p.m. here in the Bat Cave. We'll meet you tonight. You can watch us record the show live. Everybody else, we'll see you guys tomorrow.
And in order for you guys to join us, you got to take care of yourselves. Stay good in the hood. Because life is life. We want yours to be long, happy, and healthy. So we'll see you tomorrow. Until then, please remember, I love you. I mean it. Bye. Ha ha. So ha. Ha I got it. Ha ha. Bye bye. Think a better dance now. Bye, men. Come on.